Hey, if you've got a Bible, we'll go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, in a few moments we'll get to that. But uh, as you know, we are in a journey walking through uh, what are traditionally called the Ten Commandments. Uh, the more biblical term is the Ten Words or the Decalogue. And um, basically this is God's invitation to his people, the community of Israel, after he has delivered them out of years and years, generations of slavery in Egypt. He's liberated them and brought them on this journey, and they are now preparing to enter in to this place called the Promised Land, the place that God had promised to his people where they could grow and thrive and flourish as his distinct people in the world. And so these 10 commands can really be thought of as 10 invitations of here's what life looks like in my kingdom. Here's how to organize your hearts and your relationships in such a way that are going to lead to your flourishing and ultimately enable you to be an effective uh, witness for me in the world. And so uh, another way that we've thought of is these Ten Commandments can also be seen as promises of God saying, this is what life in my kingdom looks like, and ultimately it will be so one day. And so we think uh, into the future when God comes in Christ to fulfill his, his ultimate kingdom here on earth forever, these marks will be present, that there will be no murder, there will be no stealing, there will be no adultery, there will be no idolatry. And so we look at these commands not as heavy, burdensome laws we must carry, but as invitations and as promises from a God of grace who knows his people and cares deeply for their flourishing so that they can be part of who he is and what he's doing in the world. And so this morning we come to the fifth commandment, which is, um, in, to be honest, fairly straightforward in a lot of ways. Um, not that it is easy to live out, and there are some questions that it raises, but in a lot of ways this command to honor your father and mother is one that, uh, <clears throat> that we simply receive as wisdom and as grace from God. Now here's what's interesting about it. Um, these first four commandments that we've looked at, having to do with who God is and his commands against idolatry and his invitation to be a Sabbath people, um, in a lot of ways, these first commands have to do with our relationship with God. And then the final five commands have to do with our relationship with one another. Or one way you could think about it is that the first three have to do with our worship and the last five have to, or the first four have to do with the worship, and the last five have to do with our ethics, right? Um, and this command about honoring father and mother, surprisingly, maybe, has to do with both. And it's kind of the transitional command that transforms our relationship with God and then begins to transform our relationship with others as well. So let me show you what I mean. Philo of Alexandria, one of the very first commentators that we have in the first century, talks about it like this. He says, parents are something between divine and human nature, partaking of both. Human, because they've been born and they will die, and divine because they have engendered other beings and have brought what did not exist into existence. What God is to the world, parents are to their children. So what an interesting th thing that he's saying here. 
As we think about the relationship between our worship and our ethics, our love for God and our love for neighbor, he's saying the conversation on neighbor love has to start with a conversation about the relationship we each have with our parents. Because they are the closest thing to God we have in human form. Now, just as a side, it's interesting that in Exodus and Deuteronomy, but both places where we have this command, we are told to honor your father and your mother, which to us doesn't sound that significant, but to much of the ancient world, that would have been a countercultural statement that, of course, in a patriarchal society, your father was due honor. But the, the biblical authors make sure to note that the command God gives is to extend that same kind of honor to your mother as well. Because we believe that in God's image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right? And that sets the early, uh, the, the early followers of Yahweh apart from so many of the other religious systems in the world. In that we would extend the honor of the Imago Dei to men and women, and the honor that we would give to our father also to our mother as they represent the image of God to us, the first people to do so. And so we all know that our relationship with our parents is a significant one in terms of shaping our identity, shaping our values, shaping our personality, um, for better or worse, right? that the family that we are born into, our family of origin, has a significant shaping power in our lives. And so um, that's not by accident, but that is how God designed humanity to grow and to flourish. Think about the way that we come into the world isn't just on a conveyor belt pumped out into individual existence, but the way we come into the world is into a family. We are born into relationship. And so this parent relationship, and we'll talk more about the challenges and difficulties associated with it, but in and of itself, the fact that every single one of us has parents and have come into the world as children of parents makes it a significant relationship when it comes to our understanding who God is and who God has created and called us to be. And so Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon have done some great thinking on this. And let me just share with you a, a, a paragraph that they write. Listen carefully. He says, Freud taught us to believe that we ought to hate the ones who produced us, to render ourselves into our own creators through therapy. We want to be gods unto ourselves, yet nothing is quite as ontologically revealing as our belly button. By noting that we are creatures creations of mothers and fathers, this fourth commandment tells us that we have life as a gift. We are begotten, not manufactured. Someone even changed our diapers, the first hint of what grace must be like. No wonder some of us despise our parents, for they are a visible, ever-present reminder that we were created that the significance of our lives is not exclusively self-derived. The self-made man or woman is a lie. This is what makes this relationship so significant and for many of us so difficult or painful 
is that our relationship with our parents is our first opportunity to experience and learn how to relate to God. It's a relationship that ideally in God's design is marked by a nurturing love, right? And then as children underneath our parents, we are invited to lovingly obey, to trust, and to cooperate. And so in that sense, our parents are our first gods, so to speak, and they give us an opportunity from day one to confront our self-centeredness. that I am not an autonomous being, but by the very nature of my existence, I am in relationship, and I am in a family. And so, for some of us, when we talk about honoring our father and mother, um, we assume that this commandment was given to kids, dependent children. And of course, it does have something to say to dependent children, but I think it's pretty clearly agreed upon by those that have studied this that that's not the primary audience God has in mind when he gives this command. He's speaking to adults. He's speaking to adults. And inviting us to consider how our relationship with him would transform and inform the way that we relate to our parents. And from there, all the rest of our relationships, what we might call ethics, will be affected. And so, for some of us, this feels like a really easy and straightforward command. That, yeah, I can honor my parents. I know kind of what that looks like, and um, I don't really struggle with it. For others of us, this is a really challenging command. Or maybe even a really confusing one. And so... Before we talk about what it means to honor our parents, um, let's talk about what this doesn't say. It does say to honor our parents, but what doesn't it say? It doesn't say that you have to admire your parents. It doesn't say that you have to imitate your parents. Um, It doesn't even say that you have to like your parents, right? But it says to honor them. And I think for us, we can wrestle with the significance of that word at multiple levels, but we'll just start with, in the Hebrew, honor means, or the word honor is the word kaved. And it's a word you recognize, if you know any Hebrew at all, that really is oftentimes reserved for the way that humans are to interact with God. It's to honor or to glorify Right, which starts to even sound a little bit more crazy. But the literal uh, meaning of this word kaved is to give weight to, to, to make uh, weighty, to have gravitas, to have a significance that matters. Okay? So to dishonor then would be to disregard, to take lightly, to not consider in a significant way. But to honor is to be heavy or to be weighty. Now, what would be nice is if the passage said, honor your parents as long as they're honorable parents (laughs) or as long as they're worthy of honor. But I think before we even go down that path, we come back to this idea that it's not what they do as parents that we are primarily basing this conversation in. It's who they are as God's co-creators of our lives. 
And from that point on, honor begins to shape the nature of this relationship. And so for those of us that struggle with what does this mean, what does this look like, let me just throw out a few suggestions very practically. First of all, what does honoring your parents look like? It looks like gratitude for giving you life. No matter what kind of parents they were to you, they are the ones that God chose to bring you into the world through. It looks like acknowledgement of whatever good you have received from them. Whatever ways they cared for you, provided for you, blessed you, taught you, nurtured you, took care of you. With all the other stuff aside, to honor is to acknowledge. I think they say it costs a quarter million dollars to raise a kid these days, right? From birth till, till they leave the home. So we acknowledge with gratitude. To honor looks like to treat with dignity and respect. And in some cases, it might look like pursuing reconciliation with your parents if that relationship has been broken. To honor them may look like telling them the truth about the ways they've hurt you or about the way you experienced life in your, in your home of origin. And in some cases, I think honoring might look like pursuing professional help, either on your own or possibly with your family, with your parents, to work through some issues together. And in the end, honor may look like forgiving. Okay. So I'm obviously erring on the side of assuming that many of us have damaged or broken relationships with our parents. As a pastor for 20 years now, I just, I know how deeply these stories shape us and how we spend so much of our life trying to deconstruct the lies that we believed growing up in a home where there may have been some pain and dysfunction, that sort of thing, even abuse. So I start by acknowledging that for some of us, this is really hard. Now, for some of us, this isn't that hard. We love our parents. You might even like your parents, which would be, that's awesome if you do, right? You might, you might have even say, I would have chosen my parents um, if I could choose. And in that case, then this is a little bit more straightforward, at least at, in terms of this season of life. But I want to pay attention to this command and the attached promise. And I want to make sure that we hear this command and this promise not as a reward, like if you do this, I'll do this for you, but again as a prophetic promise of God's grace saying this is how I've designed humanity to flourish. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul draws upon this command, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So um, again, maybe when you were a kid, somebody told you that if you obey your parents that you'll live longer. Or maybe your parents told you, you better obey me or else you're going to die young or something like that. Um, I don't think that's primarily what he's saying. Remember, when was this command given? It was given just as the Israelites were preparing to enter in to the promised land. And this was a land full of opportunity, but in great need of human cultivation. 
And so the Israelites, this whole community of Israel, were preparing to essentially build a new civilization, to build a new city. And it was going to require a whole bunch of work from those that were able-bodied and able to contribute to digging holes and packing materials around and building houses and that sort of thing. And so who is it that becomes the least needed in that society? At a utilitarian level, it would be the elderly. That there would be a tendency or an opportunity to say the true valuable people, truly valuable people, are those that are able to help and to build this new civilization, not those that are going to be a distraction and require care. And so what God is saying is that uh, it's not just individual promise that if you honor your parents, you're going to live long. He's going, as this community of my people, that if you begin to devalue people made in my image and likeness because they no longer serve utilitarian purpose in your, in your mission, that your society is going to collapse on itself. And so there's a justice vision behind this command. Not just a familial one, but he's saying don't reduce human value to utilitarian purposes, even though the elderly amongst you as you enter into the promised land won't be as helpful when it comes to building and carrying and digging. You need them. And if you create a culture that values them, that honors them, that listens to them, that's going to go well for you. That's going to go well for you. And your culture, your community will thrive and will grow. Now, in very practical terms, this promise that if you honor your parents, you'll live a long life, things will go well for you. In practical terms, it's the idea that if your kids see you caring for your elderly parents your kids will probably be more likely to care for you when you're elderly, right? It's a culture, it's an environment that he's talking about. And so early Christians were ones that took this command very seriously. And they thought of it not just in the context of the nuclear family and how can we uh, care for our aging and elderly parents, but they extended that vision to the church community and even to society at large. That they saw through the lens of justice, through the lens of the kingdom, that the elderly amongst us were those increasingly likely to be dishonored, to be ignored, to be put aside. And you found that it was very common in the early Roman world, in the world where the church first uh, came to life, that practices of infanticide and parricide, the killing of infants, the killing of parents, were pretty commonplace. And for followers of Jesus, they showed up with this redemptive vision of the world, this redemptive vision of humanity, and this gospel that in Jesus all things are being made new, that this world matters, that people, even if they no longer serve a utilitarian purpose, that they are souls loved and cared for by God. And so the early church, in a totally countercultural way, 
shows up and says, if you don't want your babies, we'll take them. If you don't want your elderly, we'll take them. We'll care for orphans and for widows. And it's a beautiful countercultural movement that eventually actually catches steam and influences the entire Roman Empire towards the same ethic. And so for followers of Jesus, we could stand here today and go, yeah, I write my mom a note on Mother's Day, and I call my dad every few months and we talk, so yeah, check. I honor my parents. For followers of Jesus, the circle of compassion and care is constantly expanding. Those that we are concerned for, those whom we love as our neighbors or even as our enemies, those who we are called to lay our lives down for is an ever-expanding circle. And so I, uh, somebody recommended this week a documentary on Netflix called The Leftovers. I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's about the growing food insecurity issue amongst the elderly in the United States. And it's the fastest growing hungry population. It says from, in the movie, it says from 2001 to 2014, the number of seniors facing hunger nearly doubled. And since the start of the recession in 2007, that number has increased by 65%. So for the first time ever, there are more than 10 million older Americans who are unsure of where they will find their next meal. That's a crazy reality. But it's not shocking, is it? In a culture that's largely going to attribute human value to utilitarian worth, that the aging and the elderly are the first to be dishonored, disregarded, ignored, and forgotten. And so for us, as we start with the conversation of our own parents, whoever those may be, or parent figures in our lives, the conversation starts there, but it doesn't end there. The vision is for how the people of God, the church of Jesus, have this ever-expanding circle of concern that says we will not go with the way of the world, but we will think of the elders within our society and will remember them. We'll consider them. We won't forget about them. We won't ignore them. It's a really broad and wide open landscape when it comes to what would it look like for followers of Jesus to live this out in our own individual lives and in our collective mission as a church. Howard Wass, again, he was asked what he was hopeful for when it came to the church bearing witness in a changing society. He's going, what, he's being asked, what do you think will really set Christians apart as the world continues to evolve in all of its various ways? And his answer is this. In a hundred years, if Christians are identified as people who do not kill their children or the elderly, we will have done well. And it sounds like a pretty low bar, but he's saying this would actually be a prophetic presence in our world for humans, for Christians to value all human life as those made in the image and likeness of God and therefore worthy of being treated with respect and with dignity. 
Now, the interesting thing is that for so many of us, the pain we've experienced in our upbringing has, <clears throat> has a lot to do with our own parents, right? And some of the ways that they've hurt, hurt us or scarred us unintentionally or intentionally. And we know that the tragedy is that when we take that view of a parent and we impose that upon God, then our relationship with God is greatly stunted, right? But what God is trying to do throughout this narrative and specifically in these commands is to reverse that flow and say, I don't want you to assume that I'm like your parents, but I want you to start with me as your true father, as your true nurturer, as your true and ultimate creator, the one who brought you into this world and loves you and cares for you and is dedicated to your well-being and to your flourishing. And from there, it not only informs the kind of parents we want to be, but we can actually begin to identify the ways that even in our most difficult parental relationships, we can identify the image of God. And we can, with gratitude and humility, be able to give honor where honor is due. And so it's a really practical and easy message at that level. Maybe this week you need to think about how do I speak to and about my parents? And what would it look like to honor them instead? Maybe you would need to think about what kind of significance I give to this relationship and maybe create more room for it. Or it may look like creating boundaries so that your parents can't hurt you anymore, which I actually think is best for them and best for you as well in a form of honor. But we don't stop there. We expand out this vision into the world and pray, God, would you let us see you in, in the least of these, in the easily forgotten? Would you let us care radically, deeply, and authentically for those who need your compassion the most? And God, would you use us to stand differently in the world simply as those who honor those who have gone before us? As we come to the table this morning, we're reminded that Jesus was the perfect child to his parents. And we're reminded even of the fact that on the cross, Jesus entrusts the care of his mother to his best friend, John, knowing that he would no longer be able to provide care for her. And we are invited to be united with Christ in his relationship to the Father, the one Father who's ultimately due complete honor, but not just that, worship and glory and praise and gratitude forever. And so this is a family dinner that we come to, a family table to come and to commune with the Son, the Spirit, and the Father, and to find our true life, our true healing, and our true hope in him. We stand and pray with me. God, we thank you for the grace that is our lives. We thank you for our parents, whoever they may be or however we may feel about them, that they are your chosen vessels that have brought us into this world and have been the first ones to reflect your face to us. And so I pray, God, that you would help us as people
who honor you as our Heavenly Father, to, to also translate this into an honor towards one another, towards our earthly parents and, and towards those in this city and in this world that are due honor as your image bearers. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have brought us into your life, into your family, that your Father is now our Father, and that we find meaning and hope and joy and mission in being with you. And so now, as we come to your table, as we respond in worship, God, we pray that you would minister to our hearts and convict us of our sin and help us to catch a vision for how you would call us to follow your Son into this world. In Jesus' name we pray.